Hello, welcome to the Jeffrey Podcast, a podcast where we talk through the history of bands and then rank their albums. I'm John, and this is Gordon. Hello. Hello. And in this one, we're going to talk about Jethro Tull, which was actually your idea, because they were probably your favourite band, maybe, when you were growing up. Yeah, certainly in teenage years it was, yes, which um, went down very well at school, I'm sure you can imagine, in the 80s. Nothing cooler than liking Jethro Tull, as a school kid exactly. in the 80s, yeah. <laughs> so what was it that brought you to Jethro Tull? Basically, hearing you playing them, I think. So this is my fault? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then I, I think I started borrowing probably Aqualung and Crest of an Ave, I expect. And then it kind of all worked, you know, built up from that. But I think they're the two albums I remember listening to most as a youngster. Well, I got into them, I mean, when I was at school, there was kind of there wasn't a lot a lot of choice it didn't seem because obviously you couldn't have the internet radio only really played the charts and didn't really like pop music so it didn't feel like there was a lot of choice and everybody i knew at school either liked very fast sort of heavy metal type music or they liked a kind of slower heavy rock type music and they appeared to be at the time that appeared to be the only choices that were available so i sort of ended up getting into things that way that sort of heavy rock route rather than the metal route which i didn't like as much so I suppose it just came out of that and my friends at school were all listening to this weird band called Jethro Tull and I started listening, I think Broadsword and the Beast was first and then probably Aqualung and went from there. Yeah, I think Broadsword and the Beast as well actually, I was listening to that as well. But yeah, I, I got a lot of my music from listening to you. If you want to follow this podcast, we are putting playlists at the end which have the albums in the right ranking order. Do you want to just think, where are they? Because you're doing that. Yeah, the playlists are on Spotify. They're called The Jeffrey List, and then it obviously has the band name. And then they are ranked best to worst album, and we also pick our favourite track off that. So it's a compilation. So in the Jeffrey at all case, it's a 20-song playlist, one from each album. So they're not ranked by favourite songs. That's you have to look, they're ranked by the album that we put them in, in the rest of this podcast, that you have to listen to now. We're going to start in a sec. We have to mention Twitter. Right, Twitter. That's the, uh, what is it? Jeffrey Podcast. At Jeffrey Podcast. At Jeffrey Podcast. That's the Twitter thing. I'm also going to name check a book that I read, which started this off, really. I've read a book called Original Jeffrey O'Toole, The Glory Years, 1968 to 1980, by Gary Parker, which I read very recently, which is what got me going back and reappraising the Jeffrey O'Toole, which then created the idea of listening to every single album and trying to rank it, and then recruiting my brother, John, over there, to do the same. Right, now we're going to start, and we're going to start with This Was, which was their first album. So we've got Ian Anderson on flute and... What does he play? Flute, singing, guitar? Does he play guitar? I don't think so, not I don't think he does on the first album, does he? No, he's just Mick Abrahams, I think. So it's Mick Abrahams on guitar and does a bit of singing as well. The brilliant Glenn Cornick on bass and Clive Bunker on drums. So we've got those four, we've got This Was. What do you reckon to this album? It's not really... Jeff Rothall as such is the development of the band. They started as a blues rock band because I think they were pushed into it rather than they especially wanted to do that. Do you think? Why, why do you think they were pushed into it? I think it was probably just the way to get gigs and that they, they were like... Oh, right, okay. Wanted, and they say, oh, we want a blues rock band, so they thought, okay, we'll do that. And when you do listen to it, you can see it's, it's their take on it. It's not straight blues rock band. But that's what it is, and it's not then there are bits of sort of huge Jeff Rotol in there, but there also are bits that aren't really Jeff Rotol. Yeah, you can definitely hear Jeff Rotol coming through here and there, but you can also hear, as you say, stuff that just 
gets dropped immediately, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And it's, it, it, it does sort of sit apart from the rest of the albums. How do you think it would have sounded at the time, though, if you were back in 1967, was it? 68, according to Spotify. 68, okay. Right, so you're back in 68. I mean, what else would be around then? You'd have had a bit of Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin kicking off. Oh, Led Zeppelin was after, wasn't it? Yardbirds and uh, um, obviously Beatles, Stones, Kinks, Fleetwood yeah. Mac, John Mayall. I, I imagine in its day it was probably very good and it's a little bit different from other similar bands. So what what song are we going to put on the playlist? I know what I think. Well, I, I, yeah, I know what I think, which is, um, for me, my favourite song is My Sunday Feeling. Oh, okay. Okay, I wasn't going to say that. I've got, I, I do quite like My Sunday Feeling. Um, I've got a very soft spot for Dharma for One, but that's more when it appears later on the Living in the Past album. Mm. And I was going to say a song for Jeffrey. I was going to argue okay. for a song for Jeffrey. Because I think that's very sort of quintessential Jeffrey Tull. But I suppose My Sunday Feeling is more, uh, more, more what this album is about. Yeah, I think obviously my choice is a better choice out of the two. But that said, bearing in mind the the name of the podcast and everything, it would be quite nice if the first song we put on a playlist is a song for Jeffrey. Well, there's that too, as well. So I'm, I'm willing to concede on that, although obviously... This is going to cost me later, with, isn't it? With the, well, to bite with, me. The, with the side swipe that I think we're both really giving a nod to the fact that my choice was a better one. I don't it's think... Better... Well, well, anyway, let's let's um, let's not agree that second part okay. of what you're saying let's just agree to the first part which is we'll put a song for jeffrey on the playlist to represent okay. this album partly because of the nod to the podcast as well as it being a very jethro telly song and jeffrey himself jeffrey hammond hammond features big in the band over the next sort of few years so it, it's quite an important song i think yeah and it's definitely one of the better ones on there as well so so there it, it is. is it's on there i can see it yeah. You've got the Stephen Wilson remix on there, so that's okay, that'll do. I like Stephen Wilson. Yeah. Well, I think the um, they've done a few sort of remixes over the last sort of 10, 15 years, and they all seem to be quite good quality. Yeah, well, Stephen Wilson have a lot of time for, so um, I'm sure we'll talk about him in the future. So um, this album, it's all right, but it's not that great, not particularly Jeff Rotelli. So Mick Abrahams then leaves the band. Yeah, he, he apparently didn't like touring. Really? I find that so odd. What's the point of being in a band then? I think he wanted to be a part-time musician. He said, I, you know, I only want to work sort of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday or something like that. Apparently, this is the story. I don't know if it's true. Well, that's not going to wash, is it, with uh, Ian Anderson at the helm? Uh, well, the rest of the band were wanting to play every night. So they they apparently just sort of said, you know, our way or the highway. I think that's, that is a very Ian Anderson <laughs> refrain anyway, I think. Yeah, so I think that's why he ended up whether he left or got booted out, I don't really know. Well, one of his temporary replacements was Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath. And he said that he really loved Jethro Tull. They were a brilliant band, but he didn't like being in Jethro Tull because it was a band with a very clear leader and he wanted to be in a, more, a band of more equals. So he yeah. didn't last long. And then Martin Barr joins and sticks with them for quite a while. And then it's they make stand-up. There was somebody else, I think, who played a couple of gigs for them as well. But yeah, basically, yeah, there's a couple of sort of people, who, but they did they weren't significant, were they? I think Tony Iommi is probably no. only significant in the story just because of who he becomes, who how famous he becomes after that. Yeah, I, I think he in reality, I think he played was it like a TV special which he played on. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Witch's Promise. I've seen him that he's playing on Witch's Promise on something. And he and that's all he really did. So in terms of actually Jeffrey Tull's history, it's 
completely insignificant and it wouldn't really generally be mentioned if it wasn't the fact that he was famous elsewhere. Yeah. So anyway, they're going to make stand up now with Martin Barr on guitar, but the otherwise same lineup. Obviously, vast improvement, much more interesting album. Definitely. Yeah, I think he's, this is where you, you start to see the, the proper Jeffro tour. It's still a little bit patchy for me, but uh, there are some really, really strong songs. Yeah, it, it doesn't quite hang together as an album, in my opinion. It feels like here's a load of songs that we've got. Let's just record them all and book them and see how many fit on. And they're good songs. They're really good songs, but it just doesn't feel like a, I don't know, a solid, coherent album. Do you know what I mean? I do, yes. I was going to say the same thing, really. I think it's more of a collection of songs rather than sort of a coherent album, which obviously comes next with the, well, ongoing, really, from here. I think they all do sound like albums, for better or for worse. Yeah, I think they they get they much get a much more sophisticated sound after this. This it still feels quite ramshackle, I think, in quite a nice way, in a kind of sort of sort of clumsy clumsy rock blues. But some really cracking stuff on here. I mean, nothing is easy is brilliant. Um, we used to we used to know. I love that song. Back to the family. New day yesterday. Um, I even quite I'm like Fat Man. Oh, looking to the sun's great as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's really good stuff. Aboire is all right, but I'm not a big fan of uh, Ian's attempts to twist classical music around although Boire is one of his better attempts to do that I think yeah no I do really like Boire but if you turn it up he doesn't pronounce it like that actually he pronounces it Boire or something we're probably saying that wrong okay we'll just have to take a hit on that one I'm afraid we'll just not mention it again so so the big question the big the big question is is it better than this was because we need to rank these um I think clearly yes yeah I think this is going to be the easiest choice we we've got in the whole of this lengthy discussion yeah yeah well i mean for me the next few are quite easy but yeah this is this is a there's a bit of a gap i would say in between yeah i think this album is it's it sounds a bit dated it is a bit sort of up and down in in the sense that it does feel like that collection of songs that don't really necessarily flow but there's loads of really good stuff on it it's just it's a massive step forward and they're really starting to sound like jethro toll i think really sort of getting into their stride finding their sound what song would you choose then which song's going on the playlist for me, it's either Look Into the Sun or We Used to Know. Okay, well, in that case, I think they're probably my favourite too as well. But We Used to Know is probably, well, it could be my favourite Jeff Rattle song overall or close to it. So I would argue for We Used to Know. Right, I'm fine as long as it's one of those two. Okay. We're, bung- we're not coming to blows. All right, we'll bung that on the playlist then. And obviously, we then need to put them in order. Right, he's on there. Okay. And we put it. Put it above. That's it. So it's above this was. Okay. So then they go on to make benefit. Same lineup, unusually for Jethro Tull. Yeah. So what do you reckon to this album? It was it was it was one at the time when I first got into Jethro Tull many many years ago that I really overlooked this album, and it felt like it was nowhere near as interesting as What's to Come, or nowhere near as kind of fresh and exciting sounding as Stand Up. Yeah, I think when when I initially got into Jethro Tull, I don't think I ever listen to it at all that I can remember I probably did dip into it it felt forgettable to me it was sort of forgettable I, I must have put it on and I just sort of thought oh, that's all right um I don't know if it was that or maybe it was just you know my young mind 17 year old in whatever year that was 1990 I wasn't that interested in it but I did a few years ago come back and sort of reassess a lot of Jeffro talk and listen to stuff I've not listened to and this is one of those and I um, really love this album. I think, I think it's really strong and really good. 
it, it's definitely one that, that when I came back to it, I thought, oh my God, this is so much better than I realized. That Those first sort of skim listens, when, as you say, I didn't have the patience as whatever age I was. Mm. But actually, yeah, it, it, this in contrast to Stand Up, I think this is a much more coherent album. It really does feel like it flows as a something that's been thought out and how the, how the songs fit together and, and flow. Although yeah. I don't think the songs are actually quite as strong as Stand Up. I just think they all, it just all works better. Yeah, I'm not sure about the strength. It definitely works together as like an album. And I, I do, I mean, coming back to, coming to the ranking here then, I do favour it above stand-up. I can see why you do. I think I, I was kind of really in two minds about this and I wasn't quite sure. I think I put stand-up first just because, I, I, you know, of the however many songs are on stand-up, 10-odd songs that there are on stand 10, indeed, 10 songs on stand-up, I like you know, six or seven of them I really like. Whereas on Benefit, it's not. It's more like sort of four or five that I really like. So, but it is a much more sophisticated beast and it's more coherent. So I'm quite happy to put it above stand up. Okay. Um, so which track? Um, I like To Cry You a Song. I like With You There to Help Me. Uh, I also like Inside, of course, but I don't know if that's just a little bit too, too flippant. I mean, it's, I suppose Ian Anson's first attempt at a really kind of nice little acoustic number which becomes quite a big thing for him over the years. It's very much, it sounds sort of very much like a single. And they tend, at this point, they weren't really putting singles on albums. No, that's true. It's kind of like just a happy little acoustic, happy little melodic acoustic thing, which I it's, I really like. I do like the song. I don't think it's that representative of the album. And it's the one thing I think that doesn't sit that well in the album because everything else is kind of like an album track. Whereas I say inside it is like, Come on, let's write a single, something catchy. And so, what would you put on then? For me, the standout track by far is "With You There to Help Me." Okay, well, that's that's the first song, and that is a brilliant song. It's an absolutely cracking start to the album. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I really love the second song as well. Uh, nothing to say, but this this is for me definitely. Okay, well, that's no brainer then. And then we're putting that above this was obviously and above stand up. Yeah, I think so. Right at the top. Okay. Yep. So we've now got our big sort of heartbreaking lineup change for me, the one that I really still haven't quite forgiven Ian Anderson for, which is the elbowing out of the brilliant, wonderful Glenn Cornick on bass. Because that's one thing we haven't mentioned is just how brilliant the bass playing is on the first, especially Stand Up and Benefit. It's just wonderful. And to throw out such a brilliant bass player and such a strong personality as Glenn Cornick, I just think was criminal, criminal behaviour. Yeah, I think as well, if you, having read a bit and seen documentaries about it, I don't think it's 100% clear exactly what happened here, because there's, certainly the stories from Ian Anderson changed. Well, he, yeah, it depends what day you catch yeah. him on, doesn't it, which, how the stories go. Yeah, but it, it seemed to be the one I've heard most is the fact that they were flying back from America. And he was taken to one side by, I think, Terry Ellis and basically told, you're not on this flight and you're also not in the band anymore. And that was it. Which is not very... If that did happen, obviously, that's not very nice. Um, but also, like you say, he was a great musician. Well, he was probably the strongest musician in the band, just in terms of breadth and not of depth of, of music knowledge. Uh, there, were, there was the stories about he was the only one who was kind of going out and getting drunk and trying to jag loads of women and stuff. And the rest were just creeping back to their hotel rooms. Mm. which, you know, given that this is before Wi-Fi and before multiple television channels, I mean, what three young rock star men were just all doing going back to their rooms at sort of 
is is unfathomable. I think Glenn Cornick was the more normal of the, the ones in my view. Yeah, and I'm not sure that that's true either. Oh, really? Well, again, alternative stories have suggested that, that he wasn't really that wild. Some of the times they have said he was sort of drunk and it affected his playing, and other times they've said no, it didn't. So again, whether that's true, but also you can say that um, John Glascock later very much was doing the same thing. He was drinking and I think drugs as well, which you know, obviously eventually killed him as well. But you know, he was doing that and it didn't get him kicked out of the band. So I'm not sure whether that whether that stands up. Well, Ian Anderson maybe did... an excuse for kicking him out for more personal reasons than whether he didn't like him or whether he just wanted Jeffrey Hammond. So obviously he's a big big mate of Jeffrey Hammond and it might be that he just wanted wanted Jeffrey in the band. Yeah, it's possible, isn't it? I mean I know Ian Anderson did say he wasn't saying that Glenn Cornick was out going out going wild or anything. It was just in comparison to the rest of the band's introversion. That was all. It was just sort of a bit of a misfit in that sense. But even so, for someone who's such a good musician, such a brilliant bass player, it just seems like a a very odd thing and the way it was done just seems so cowardly. It's it's yeah. real disappointing. That's- as a band leader, as Ian was, if you've got somebody who is such a good musician, there's not really an excuse to kick them out on, on those grounds. You should sure, in theory, you should want them in your band to contribute. And then replace them with somebody who actually can't play the bass. Yes, that's barely play the bass. <laughs> barely <laughs> play the bass. I mean, as much as that lovely fellow Jeff and Hammond, Hammond, Hammond is, was, is, and I do really like him. I think he's a real character. Yeah. He was nowhere near the bass player that Glenn Cornick was. I don't think any of them. He probably didn't compare to any of the bass players. Well, no, that's true. That's true. I think what what Jeffrey Hammond did do, in a way, was actually because he was Ian's friend and sort of helped the band get together sort of more on a social level, social level rather than, you know, musically. Right, so it's a bit of a sort of glue holding them together. This kind of nice guy in the middle. That's the impression I, I get. I know that years later... Don Airy, was, who was playing keyboards with them at the time, said, nobody is happy in that band. And I think working with Ian Anderson must be really bloody hard work. And I guess this is the time when he was really asserting his boss chops and really taking over. So perhaps someone like Jeffrey Hammond Hammond was increasingly important to hold it together. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it was still early days, so you wouldn't think it would be you know, that much of a dictator. But obviously, I mean, he was an obvious frontman, but they were, they were still very much a band at this point. And that, even though they're actually not in the band officially, I think you know, David Palmer and John Evan were both actually active members as well, even though they weren't officially. Yeah, they were on... Um, I think John Evan played on Benefit, didn't he? And David Palmer was around. Yeah, he was around and doing arrangements for some of the... I think the you know, Life's a Long Song, which was... Is that 1970? Yeah, it's around that time, yeah. But I think A Christmas Song was the first thing he did, which I'm not sure again what year, but that's sort of 69, 70 as well. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that was actually on the Living in the Past album. But anyway, it's all the singles, isn't it, that were around but not making onto the album. So he was part of the band, if not an actual member. Well, they went on to make Aqualung, and John Evan is in the band now, isn't he? For Aqualung, yes. So they're now a five-piece. So we've got John Evan on piano. We've still got Clive Bunker on drums for the moment. We've got Jeffrey Hammond labouring his way through the bass parts. Ian's still on vocals, of course, and Martin Barr still on guitar. And they produced this album, Aqualung, which is completely different than anything they've done before. It just sounds nothing like any of the first three albums. Yeah, it's completely different. 
and brilliant. I think it's really, really good album. When we were listening through to these again, this was just like so, so much more modern sounding, so much cleaner, so much more, uh, it's a much more straightforward rock album. Yeah, definitely. And it's one of the, going back to the remix, remixes they've done, is it does sound a lot better now, because I think the, the recording of the original one was a bit, a bit ropey. Yeah, that wasn't brilliant. Was and they've cleaned it up nicely. And if I bought the remix a few years back and then was playing that in the car, was playing on, and it just, I'd not listened to it for a while. And it is quite sort of, you know, knocks your socks off, really, just how good an album it is. Yeah, there's just, blues are just gone, aren't they? There's no blues in this at all, really. It's just rock. Yeah. Big fat rock songs, little acoustic ditties, which are really nice. All of them are, are, are good. And I don't think there's, a barely, there's barely a Duff song on it. I'm not mad on Up To Me or perhaps, you know, him 43 and I'm bored of Locomotive Breath, but it's a good song. I'm just bored of it. Yeah, I think Locomotive Breath is just a bit overplayed. But yeah. I'm like, a bit bored of that. I do really like Up To Me and him 43. Yeah, I'm not that keen on those two. They feel a little bit throwaway. I mean, I think side one at least up until Wondering Aloud, I think is fantastic. And then side two, My God, and Wind Up, the, the first and last song, I think are brilliant. I mean, I like all the songs. I think, for me, Locomotive Breath and Cross-Eyed Mary are the two sort of weaker songs on it. Oh, but do I don't you? dislike them. I like yeah. Cross-Eyed Mary. I like the lyrics of it. I, I like them both. I just think that they are they are the weaker tracks on the album for me. Yeah, I, I do like them all as well. There isn't there isn't a track that I don't I dislike. It has just been a bit tired of one or two here and there, and one of them, a couple of them, just been slightly weaker. The difficulty becomes in which one you choose for the playlist, because it's quite hard to imagine a playlist without Aqualung on it. But it's not my favourite song on the album, although it's a great song. Yeah, but I think you know our playlist isn't going to be the title tracks, and it's not a best of. No, that's true. So, okay, yeah, you're right. We're relieved so, of that duty. Yeah, we've uh, no pressure on us. So where where do you start? What I mean, what's what's your, what are your thoughts on the which one are you going to nominate? Well, I think my favourite song on here is "Cheap Day Return." <laughs> it's about three seconds long. Well, there is that. That's an issue. I appreciate. One minute twenty-three. Uh, one minute twenty-one on here. Oh, okay, one minute twenty-three on mine. It is a good song. It's a great song, and so is "Wondering Aloud," which is one minute fifty-five. Another little acoustic thing of me. Yeah. So what's your? I'm expecting you to nominate "Wind Up." Is that what you're going to do? Well, I was going to mention Wind Up because I do really like the song Wind Up. And when we saw it live that time, it was just brilliant. I was just so thrilled that that was, instead of usual ending that they always do of Locomotive Breath, Dan Buster's March, they actually did Wind Up as the encore, yeah. which was just fantastic. So that's definitely in the running. And the other one is Mother Goose, which I really like. Yeah, it's another of my favourites as well. I want to say like their own favourites, and then I think, oh yes, I'm like all those, and then end up listing. That's the problem with this album; they're all good songs. I mean, Mother Goose is probably my favourite initially, and it still is one of my favourites on the album. So I'll be happy to go with Mother Goose if you want to pick. I that. also need to say, My God, though, because I do love the song My God as well. I think that's a really good song. I wouldn't; I'm not nominating it, but I do like it. It yeah. just seems odd to pick Mother Goose off this album. Do you know what I mean? It just feels like, although it's a lovely song, it doesn't feel big enough for such a massive album. Yeah, well, that's why I thought you might go for Wind Up. You know, it's the sort of the bigger epic song at the end. Yeah, let's go for Wind Up then. I'm going for Wind Up. There, I've done it. I've said it. Can't take it back. Yeah, you can take it back. I'm not want. taking it back. Don't complicate matters. In the interest of not really having a strong argument against any of the songs, really, it's a big epic album, so we should probably pick a big epic song. Yeah. Which means basically Aqualung or Locomotive Rep or Wind Up. 
possibly Cross-Eyed Mary, or possibly My God as well. But out of those five, for me, it is Wind Up. Okay, well, we're agreed. It it's Wind Up. Second out of those five. But what would be second? Aqualung. Yeah, I think I would agree. Aqualung's a great song, and it's brilliant live. Especially the, the guitar solo is fantastic. I mean, we could always pick Aqualung if you think it's better on the... uh, No, well, can, can we just pick Wind Up and just, just go... Just contradicted everything I've said. Just pick it and put it on the list. We now need to decide where in the list it goes. I think at the top. I think it's better than, obviously better than this was, the, the album this is. I think it's better than Stand Up. I think it's better than Benefit. Do you agree? Yes. Okay, then. I do. That's that then. Yeah. Sorted. No, there's no need to have a long discussion about that. So Aqualung's finished, and then Clive Bunker leaves, the drummer leaves. So we're left with Ian Anderson as the only original member already, only sort of four albums in. Clive Bunker, but he's fortunately replaced by Barrymore Barlow, who's absolutely brilliant. Or Barry Barlow is his proper name. Yeah. Who is an absolutely brilliant drummer. I think the best drummer they ever had. And and this is now almost the original, it's pretty much apart from Martin Barr on guitar, it's pretty much the original John Evan band from their Blackpool days of when they started out. Yeah, yeah. Well, now they're one of the biggest bands in the world after after Aqualung, and there's all these comments about oh, it's a it's a concept album based on religion and stuff. So, Ian has his little laugh and thinks, oh, I'll show you a concept album. Yeah, and he does. And out comes Thick as a Brick. Yeah, which and is should, one song know. across the entire album. Yeah, you should probably not be surprised that Aqualung was thought of as a concept album, seeing as it was completely packaged as one. Yeah, but yeah, it does seem to be quite a sort of comment, commentary on organised religion, which is Ian Anderson denies and just says that's coincidence. There's a few songs with that in. Well, he says there's a common theme through a few songs, basically his wording on that, which is, is fair enough. It's true, isn't it? There definitely is a common theme in some of the songs. Yeah, well, he certainly can't deny that when it comes to Thick as a Brick, because there's, a, there's a, just one bloody song, the whole record. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it, it has to have stop. a break. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously it does stop, but it doesn't stop. Yeah. Although it does stop, doesn't it? Well, it, it does stop, obviously, because you have to change sides of an old record, but then it sort of you know, stumbles to a stop again at the beginning of side two. Yeah, I think that's Ian's little joke. Well, Ian shouldn't have had his little joke. I think that does... But, I mean, yeah. considering... No, it... I agree. I agree. Because they spend about ten minutes on the, the song finishing it and then starting it. And then once they're finished all doing that, they just stop anyway. Yeah. I, I actually don't mind the way it does that. And I think is it is it Jeffrey Hammond's voice that says about something about responsibility or something? I don't know whose voice it is. I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, Hammond's quite northern, isn't he? He's got like, yeah. I don't think it is him unless he's putting a voice on. Yeah, I don't know, but I quite I do quite like it actually. But the the amazing thing is that it's even though it's one song, it just doesn't get boring. The entire thing, it's just all of it's really good, and it just grows and and. Uh, you know, changes and evolves, obviously, but it's just all of it's so good. Yeah, I think when they, when he was recording it, apparently he was just Ian Anderson would spend the previous evening writing a bit, and then he'd take it into the studio, and then the band would work with it and put it together, and then the next day he'd come with a bit more, and he just worked like that, and he just basically just built it up. Ended up, ended up with this forty-three minute song by just doing that. And they said it. it he said, you know, he was blagging it a bit by making out, trying to make out to the the group that he had some kind of master plan when he didn't. And he was just basically just going home, writing a bit more and then taking it in the following morning. Well, it certainly worked because the, I think the lyrics are great. I think the, the music's great. I actually think Jeffrey Hammond does quite well on the bass on this. I think the bass is quite pretty good. 
Um, it sounds so much better with Barry Barlow as well on the drums. He's such a brilliant drummer. It, it's just a cracking album. Does it go? Does it go above Aqualung? Where does it go in the charts for you? I personally will put Thick as a Brick at the top. I, I would. I'd put Thick as a Brick above Aqualung. I think it's a greater achievement. Yeah. I think it's. But I think, but I think those two albums together collectively are better. Head and shoulders above the rest. Well, let's just uh, let let's just save, keep our powder dry slightly on it, the, because there's quite a few albums to come. Yeah, so um, I may I may disagree with you. Well, you may do. We need to pick a track. And I think just just on that point about bass playing, because Jeffrey Hammond isn't that good, and I think this is his peak. And people like really good bass players like Steve Harris and Geddy Lee pick this out as one of their favourite albums. And I think that does say something just how hard he must have worked to sound quite good on this album. Yeah. Picking the track then, the favourite track, considering there's only one track on the album. Well, you say that, but if you go to the 40th anniversary special edition, it is breaking down into episodes. Oh, is it? Oh, God, I haven't done that, so I don't know what to pick then. Well, I, I think, rather than pick a bit of it, we should probably just pick the first, which is the really, you know, it's the acoustic bit, and then when it, it goes, it's the first five minutes, basically. Okay, well, we'll do that then. I mean, I quite like the edits that you can get because they've also got some of the some of the cracking jamming guitar stuff in the middle, which are like the sort of eight yeah. eight minute ish edits that you can get of it. Yeah, I really like the sort of the end of side one, but I think from the purpose of this, we should probably just like pick the edit one. All right, we'll go for edit one, and we're going to put this at the top of the top of the tree above Aqualung. Really don't mind seems to be called. And um, really don't mind stroke. See there, a son is born. We're moving forward with a consistent lineup into a passion play. Now, having done this joke of let's do let's do a comedy album, well, let's do a joke of a concept album and make it one song throughout the whole thing, the sort of concept album to end all concept albums. They then do another concept album with one song over the whole thing, which to me feels like they've taken the joke a bit far. Yeah, I'm not sure it's a joke anymore, though. I think they're just doing a concept album. Well, yeah, and I think if they hadn't done it as one song, it would have been better because it would be more accessible. To me, when I first heard this, I just thought, I'm not quite sure what's going on. I can't follow it in the same way as Thick as a Brick feels like a very natural flow and you go from one bit to another and it just all feels brilliant immediately. Passion Play, I found a lot harder and ended up putting it down because I just couldn't find a way into it. And then when I got a copy which had the bits broken down, I suddenly found the whole thing a lot more accessible because I didn't lose myself. So I found it easier to sort of get to grips with. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's very much an album of two halves in the fact that I don't really like side one and I really like side two. I think side two is really, really strong. Well, side two is good. That's got, obviously, the hair that lost his spectacles, narrated by Geoffrey Hammond Hammond. Well, that aside. Well, that is actually... I mean, obviously, it's not a good song, but it is funny. On the final, actually, it's in the middle, isn't it? It starts on side one and it goes over onto side two. So the hair that lost its spectacles is on both sides. Oh, okay. I hadn't realised that. I haven't listened to it on vinyl for so long. I think it would be a better album if they just took that out. It probably would be, although I I kind of do have a... With Forest Dance 1 and side two started with Forest Dance 2 and just carried on. I like the hair who lost his spectacles and I like the film that did for it alive. But that's just where it should live and not on the album. Yeah, it's not. It, it's funny, it's charming in its own sort of odd way, and it just doesn't quite belong on a rock album, and it's certainly not what's otherwise quite a 
quite an interesting album. There is something about it, though, that when it starts, it sounds a little bit like King Crimson. It doesn't sound quite so Jethro Tully. It doesn't sound quite so original. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a different sound, isn't it? As long as in between doing this and Thick as a Brick, they actually had recorded another album and a half, I think. Oh, of course, yeah. The Chateau Disaster and the Chateau... I can't remember the actual name of the Chateau. But that had been recorded in between and they'd given it up as a bad job because it had all gone disastrously wrong. And then I think they just came back to Britain and started again and recorded this. And oddly, it wasn't a bad job because when they released it later in the 20 years box set, it actually was some pretty good stuff in there. I can't quite understand why they gave it up. Skating Away on the Thin Ice of the New Day was part of that. And most most of it's quite good because they, they released a bit in that box set. And they also, on Nightcap, there's quite a bit of it on there. And also there is now a version of Passion Play, which does have, I think, the full the full recording sort of as an extra disc now. So it's like a double album. And it is, it is quite good. I, it, you know, I think it's... Maybe not quite as good as a fashion play, but it's certainly of a similar standard. That would have been interesting if they'd made it a double album, a double album with the Chateau Disaster stuff. That might have been quite quite interesting. And dropped the hair, who dropped his hair, who lost his spectacles. And we, mm. a spoiler alert: the, at the end of that, he does actually have a spare pair. So um, don't worry too much. So what are we going to do? Are we going to are we going to pick a track for this one? Well, we we could do. I mean, again, there's a broken down version of this. Um, so we can pick out a bit. But my my favourite bit, again, it's a bit like picking Cheap Day Return, but um, Forest Dance 2. Well, go for it then. I do like Forest Dance 2. But it, it is great. But it, it, to be honest, the whole of Side 2 is, is great. I'm happy so, I'm happy with Forest Dance 2. That's fine. I think it's a nicely representative of the best bits of the Passion Play. Yeah. And it is sort of, it is sort of a quirky bit, and this is actually a little bit of a quirky album. Yeah. I know Jeffro Talk are a quirky band, so most of the stuff is a bit quirky in a way. But this is probably one of their quirkiest. So where are we ranking I'm it? Stop talking now, because I keep saying quirky rather too much. Yeah. Well, we'll probably say it over the next rest of this conversation as well. Yeah. That is their hallmark. But where, whereabouts are we going to put this in the list? Um, does it go well, think... above benefit? No. You see, I think it does. Ooh, I didn't expect that. Yeah. It, it's an album. It's, it's a bit like Benefit in the sense that it's an album I overlooked as a as a youngster, and subsequently have gone back to and thought actually this is a cracking album. There's lots in here, and it's mm. the one that if I was going to put a Jethro Tull album on, it's one of the ones that I would go to and say, because I feel there's more in it to 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 explore. There's more depth in it, so I would put it high. I might even put it above Aqualung, you know, in in some ways, but I I don't think I could win the argument. No. I, w- I would um, have to do my best to take you down on that one. I think I don't think it comes near Aqualung. Well, you see, for me, with a fashion play, it, it's half an album. But the, the side two is excellent. The side one, I can... Side one's all right, though. I mean, side one's not terrible. It's quite to leave. Whereas Aqualung, obviously, has a great side one and two. But... Okay, so let's put it below Aqualung. Do we put it above Benefit? Or do we put it below Benefit? Is that is that what you're saying? You'd put it between benefit and stand up, and, um, and I'm saying between benefit and Aqualung. I think I would be, for me, if it's just my list, I would be looking at whether I was putting it above or below stand up. Oh, okay. So it's definitely below benefit. It was kind of like, is it better than stand up or not? Okay, so this has to be. So we're definitely above stand up. I think I have to compromise on that bit. Okay, and we're definitely below Aqualung. I, I'm happy to compromise on that. So it's just which side of benefit it belongs. Yes. 
think we've got to fight over that now. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I want to... I, I mean, I'm quite happy to seed this one and put it... Oh, I don't know. I think it's better than Benefit. I um, I just think it's so much more interesting than Benefit. There's more depth to it. Yeah, but it's more flawed as well. Okay, let's go below Benefit as punishment for putting on the hair and lost his spectacles. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. I think they do does deserve some punishment for that. Yeah, okay, we've agreed. All right. I do think it would be a stronger album just for taking it off. Yeah. Just make it five minutes shorter. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right, so that's decided. So, again, same lineup. We move on to War Child. An odd album, I think. Yes. I think I was listening to um, some interviews the other day. It's like, it is on, it's on, on Spotify. Some interviews in the 80s, and he does admit himself to basically just doing Fashion Play again with this album, but obviously just they have separate songs. A lot of their sort of stuff. Said it, they part two. A lot of their stuff feels like they're doing it again. They tend to sort of do something and then do it again, either sometimes better, sometimes worse. They sort of seem to yeah. sort of do clusters of two or three albums in that way. Yeah, I think it, it, it's obviously a mixture of successes. I think sometimes they try and copy the album, which I don't know whether he's done that literally here or not. And I think that generally doesn't work. But then there are other times, obviously, like when, you know, the folk rock, the songs from the Wood to Stormwatch area, whereas they basically found the sound. Yeah. Did three albums. And that's, that's a different thing, I think. This is, I suppose, you know, in a way, just a, I think you've just sort of carried on and just thought, right, we'll do that again. I kind of get the feeling that the next three albums are, do, cluster together slightly. Warchild mentioned the gallery to all talk and roll. They do feel like they cluster slightly because there's a sort of a scratching around for a sound a little bit. It's a bit proggy. Mm. It feels like they're slightly out the limelight that they're in in the early 70s. Yeah. Because I think, I don't know how long you see all these were knocking around because Warchild was meant to be um, a film. Right. Which didn't turn out to be one, obviously, as we know. There's no spoilers there. To Alter Rock and Roll was going to be a stage musical, which, again, never made it to the stage. So they ended up just recording it as a Jeffro Tull album, which I think is why it doesn't sound less like a Jeffro Tull album than some of the others. I think, I think most um, people... So I don't know, actually, whether the timeline of these is actually exactly as they're released, because we don't know. Oh, right. So, I mean, the film was in, so the film was in development for a while, as was the musical. I think To Alter Rock and Roll was released after Minstrel in the Gallery, wasn't it? But the music yeah. was probably around earlier. I would guess. Well, let's let's just sort out Warchild. Let's just nail this down, so we can right. we can move on through these next three fairly sharpish because they're not the strongest part of the the Tull canon by any means. And I think Warchild's pretty mediocre. The first track has is quite atmospheric, I think, and I quite like it ish. And then I think the album drops and just becomes a bit dull. Backdoor Angels is pretty good. And then again, a bit boring. Skating away is all right. Bungle in the Jungle, I mean, for goodness sake. When he realised Bungle rhymed with Jungle, he should have just left it there. You know, it, it's not a bad little pop song, yeah. but it's nothing special. But just the the rhyme just annoys me so much. And then I quite like Only Solitaire, but apart from that, I'm just thinking this is just a very mediocre effort, really. Yeah, I mean, Only Solitaire sounds like it comes right off the Chateau Disaster stuff. It's exactly like that. And I don't know if it did. It possibly did. That's probably why it sounds quite good, because that was... Skating like skating Away, which is my favourite track on here by far, is from that session as well, and that's really good. I mean, first time 
when I went back listening to all these records to do this. I absolutely hated this album. I really didn't <laughs> like it. And when I, and it was straight down the bottom. And then once I'd listened to everything once, they were all in little clusters. And then it was like, is that really worse than all these? So I went back and listened to it. And it, not as bad as that at all. It, it, it moved quite a way back up my list again. But I don't think it's that strong. No. There's a couple, you know, things like Two Fingers, which is a reworking of Licky Fingers playing from the Aqualong era. era. The original version's a lot, lot better. For me, it's just a really weak album. I don't have anything on here that is that strong, um, except for Skating Away, which I do really like. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's agree Skating Away is the track to put on. I was going to make a, a mild argument for Backdoor Angels, but I wasn't really, my heart wasn't in it. So I'm very happy okay, to go. I, thought, I was getting ready for an argument there. No, I would no. be okay with Solitaire because I quite like that as well. No, I'm going to argue uh, later about other stuff. So I'm just going to um, keep you keep you on side for the moment, and we'll we'll go for skating away. Let's just decide. So this is a tactical. Yeah, tactical. Tactical acceptance here. Yeah, and the only point for me is: does this go above this was? Because it certainly goes below stand up. Um, I think it's probably below. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. There's not a lot on it. You see, both albums. I, I can't. I think. Yeah, I can't see myself particularly bothering to go back and listen to either album, unless we decide to, you know, redo the the Jeffrey list again in another sort of ten years. Well, let's just leave it there then. I mean, I'm quite happy with that. I would have put this was below it, but again, I'm, it's it's splitting hairs really, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, for for me, they're on the similar footing, so I don't mind it going above this was, at least. War Child is a proper Jeff Rotol album, whereas this was isn't. Yeah. Well, I think this obviously does have some quality there. So I don't mind putting it above. All right, well, let's put it above then. We can always move it later if we find we're putting something in between it that doesn't quite sit. Okay, all right, well, let's just move it above for now because I do think it has some good points in there. I, like to, I do like the way it starts, the album. I just think it's, it then just sort of doesn't really get any better apart from the odd bit here and there. Well, the title track's okay. Yeah. But it's not. It's not brilliant, it doesn't develop any, but it does start quite nicely, and I think, oh, this is going to be interesting, and then it just isn't. But it, there is something atmospheric about it, which I do like. So, Looking at my list that I did on my own when I was doing at it, I have actually got War Child above this one. Oh, well, there you go. You just tricked me into thinking that <laughs> you conceded to me. <laughs> After that, they went on to make Minstrel in the Gallery again, same lineup. To me, this is similar, but a lot stronger but still not brilliant. And there's some quite nice stuff on here. Baker Street Muse is all right, but not as good as it should be, considering how much real estate it occupies. It's like a massive, what is it, 16 minutes or something? And it's not yeah. good enough to occupy that, but it is good and it does have nice bits. And for me, the highlight's One White Duck, which is the sort of acoustic throwaway on the album. Well, yeah, I don't think it's the acoustic throwaway. I do think Side 2 is obviously stronger than Side 1. Yeah, definitely. I do really like this album. I do think it is one of their better ones. Oh, I do it as well. I think, you know, it, it is flawed. It's certainly not up there with, with the best. Cold Winter Valhalla and Black Satin Dancer are very nice musically, but they're not classics. They're just not that interesting. But, um, but I mean, the side two, I think, is, is excellent. I, I really do like Baker Street News, um, especially, and the One White Duck. Yeah, One White Duck, I think, is a, a really nice song. Have we picked the track for the playlist there, I think? Yeah, okay, let's go for Because we haven't actually got an acoustic one yet either, So, and that is a strong part of what they do, so let's go for that. We've just got to decide where in the list it goes. Because I think, yeah. it, I mean, I think it, 
It definitely goes above War Child. I've no doubt about that. I wouldn't put okay. it above Stand Up. I think I would put it above Passion Play. Really? No. Possibly. We're going to have to come to blows on this one. I can't. I can't <laughs> allow that. As a compromise, of course, if we have to go above Stand Up, we do. But we can't go above Passion Play. I'm not sure you see it should be above Stand Up. Well, I would agree. It's a difficult one. I, I, happy, I, I think I might leave the argument there on this one. If you're happy where it is here. Yeah, just, I think yeah. so. I think so. I think that's about right. You can never quite do these things perfectly, of course, because your opinions change over time as well. So yes, it's, it's never. It's, we've also got different opinions. Yeah. Uh, so you've got two snapshots in time that, don't, that aren't going to agree. Okay, so now we're on to Too Old to Rock and Roll, Too Young to Die. Not my favourite name for an album ever. And at this point, Jeffrey Hammond Hammond has run off with his millions back to his uh, painting studio in Blackpool. And John Glascock has joined the band, playing on bass. So we're up to our third bass player. And now David Palmer, who is now Dee Palmer, she's now joined the band officially. So you were saying that this was actually maybe written before the music of this because it was supposed to be a stage musical? That's right, yeah. So I'm not really sure when it was actually written, but it came out quite... I think it was about six months after Minstrel. So I'm guessing it in the timeline of Tull, I guess it probably was written before Minstrel in the gallery. Um, I think they possibly just got disheartened with trying to get this musical to work and then just recorded it. But the album for me it's itself is a little bit um, of a middling album. It doesn't jump out. There's some really nice songs on there, but only a few. Yeah, I, I'd agree. There's, um, there's a lot less flute on there, which is... Brilliant in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think it's made... It's on the best tracks. There's not much flute, and it doesn't really matter, so... No, I think that's right. Um, I sort of just thought it's another same old stuff album, but it's kind of slightly poppier feel to it, slightly more energy, perhaps, and a little bit tighter, but it just kind of felt a bit, you know, neither note in the summit, as they say, and um, I don't know, just nothing special. There's mm-hmm. two or three songs that I really like, and that's about all. Yeah, I think so. When you actually listen to it, I just think you kind of think, oh, you know, this is all right, actually. But then really, it's, it doesn't seem to sort of like combine like an album does to make it sort of greater than the sum of its parts. It's it's just a bit less than the sum of its parts, really. But it is an album and it does feel like an album. It flows like an album at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It's a terrible cover as well. Although I think in general, Jethro Tull tend to have pretty bad covers. I think Passion Play was quite a good cover, but I generally I think most of their album covers are pretty awful. And this may be the one that takes the biscuit. It's bloody awful. I don't think it's the one that takes the biscuit. I mean, I don't want to jump ahead a few years, but <laughs> right. you know, okay. The, the last, uh, let's go the the last two albums. Yeah, they're not um, bri- oh, pretty. Well, I don't think the. Well, anyway, let's get to that when we get to that. Anyway, I, don't, I think it's an awful cover. I think it's a mediocre album. I certainly don't think it's bad by any means. There's some good, goodish stuff on there. I wouldn't go back to it now, but then that's true of a few of these sort of middling albums in the middle of their career. My favourite tracks? Yeah, I, yeah. I like Salamander. I think that's a really nice acoustic number. I, I really do like Crazed Institution. I think that's a really good song. And I think Checkered Flag is... I agree. I think it's a little bit over long, Crazed Institution, but it's a really it is good and i think checkered flag is one of the few jethro tull songs that i genuinely find quite emotional because i don't think they're a particularly emotional band they don't tend to tug at your heartstrings that much which checkered flag to me is quite an emotional song i agree i think i think it's largely in uh ian's vocals that gets yeah. an, an excellent vocal performance 
he's quite a limited singer in terms of his range, although I really like his voice. Yeah, no, I do. And obviously he writes the music within his range yeah. very well. And I really like his voice. And he has done some amazing vocal performances. But he has said himself he's not the greatest singer. No, but he's, I, I do really enjoy his voice almost always. Mm. And in, in this one in particular. And, and I should say as well, on YouTube, you can find the Tampa Bay performance from this time, 1976, when they were touring this album. You can see just how good mm. they were live. So even though I think this album is only mediocre and perhaps the last two albums before it similarly so you see live they were just absolutely brilliant really strong live they were just a different world compared to their their on record yeah i think so the the live concerts that are available so there's the bursting out isn't tour and uh yeah that's a couple years later there was the first transatlantic satellite performance one that's very good as well which i think is sort of the same tour as bursting out you've got the one in madison square garden which you can see yeah, on, on YouTube. And that, that's got Tony Williams on bass because John Glasgow was ill at the time. So I think it must have been slightly later because Bursting Out was filmed around Europe and John Glasgow is in the band then. Mm. So unless John Glasgow fell ill on the tour um, or it was a different tour. Yeah, I'm not sure, but it's a similar set, I think. So it must have been around a similar time. Yeah, it was definitely a similar time. But anyway, well, mm. which, which, well we're going to choose Checkered Flag, aren't we, obviously? Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. A, so where we put it? It is. So where are we putting this in the ranking? On our ranking, I think, it, for me, it's better than War Child, but it's not better than Minstrel. I'm happy with that. Yeah, that's non-controversial. Yeah. I mean, talking, you know, sort of mediocre, almost moribund albums, I think, you know, War Child is there, and most most of these all right albums are going to jump above that, that sort yeah. of level War Child has put there. I think so. And, okay, so we've put it above war child and below minstrel and now there's a sort of a bit of a change of tone they sort of seem to be finding a slightly different sound a folkier sound that they became quite well known for this sort of folk rock period the the next three albums and they released songs from the wood what do you reckon this was the first album i kind of went back to recently when i was kind of trying to reassess and I've always been a little bit dismissive of this folk rock trilogy. So it was a little bit better than I remembered, although I really wasn't blown away by it. I find some of the lyrical content a little bit embarrassing. I'm not into all this Jack in the Green stuff particularly, but there is some really good music on there and some nice songs. The Whistler, I think, is probably the jolliest song I've ever recorded. Yeah, that's a nice little melody, isn't it? It's like, you know, try not to whistle along to that. Yeah, that's that's a fun little song. It's very weird what you just said, because I agree with every single word and I've almost written it down in my notes here, word for word. And I didn't expect that. I thought you'd be sort of championing, championing this album like many people do, because the opener's great. Songs from the Wood is a really good song. Hunting, yes. Hunting Girl has its good moments, although I entirely agree with you. I can't be doing with the lyrics. I think Mm-mm. it's quite embarrassing to listen to this middle-aged man lecturing over a, a girl in jodhpurs. I think it's uh, it, it doesn't do anything for me that although it's not a bad song it's it's i'm just put no. off by the words songs like velvet green you just think oh shut up jack in the green i'm just not interested in woodland sprites although there's some nice bits in the song here and there mm. and I, I i agree i i kind of just think this is twiddly folk drivel to be honest most of it yeah twiddly folk drivel is probably a little bit harsh but i mean lyrically i would say use those words but i think musically it's a very nice album i like it yeah, Songs from the Wood is a good song, as is The Whistler. 
ring out solstice spells i quite like even though it's a christmas uh, song it's all uh, it's all right but you know i mean i think you picked out the whistler and songs from the wood as the only two that i would well hunting girl maybe as the ones that i would say are, are, are yeah. the best songs and, and i strongly advocate songs from the wood as being the song that goes on the playlist okay i will i will agree i would put the whistler on but songs from for me songs from the wood and the whistler are the top two by far well it depends what you're going to argue on heavy horses because I've, I've got quite a strong opinion on what I want from Heavy Horses. So I might have to compromise on Songs from the Woods. <laughs> so it's, well, let's just quickly talk about Heavy Horses and see what we get. Let's put Songs from the Wood on the list now. Okay. We can move to Heavy Horses and then do the rank, come back for the ranking. We could go through the whole folk rock trilogy, pick the songs, and then do the ranking of them. Oh, if you the, want. You're, you're breaking the rules now. This is getting tired. Now let's just rank Songs from the Wood and let's just. I'm a maverick. That, well, you you blow my mind. Let's just stick okay. with songs from the wood. Where right. does it go as an album for me? It definitely goes above War Child. Obviously, I wouldn't put it much higher. No, I mean for me, you see, we've put Minstrel a little bit too low for me. So I I would really struggle to put it above Minstrel in the gallery. So I definitely wouldn't actually looking at it because the stand up and passion play above. So it's really whether it goes above too old to rock and roll, too young to die. I mean, songs from the wood's probably got a nicer sound, but. I don't know. They're probably on a. They've all got pros and cons. They're, they're far from perfect albums for me. They're both quite reasonably enjoyable, but not amazing. Well, let's leave it album. where it is then. Let's leave it there, above Warchild, below Too Old, and then let's go on to Heavy Horses, which I think is an improvement. I think it's got stronger songs. It's got a nicer sound, a meatier sound. It feels a bit fuller. I really like the Mouse Police song at the beginning. And the Mouse Police Never Sleep. I think that's a really good song. One of the one of Jeff Rattle's best, I would say. And I still quite like Heavy Horses. But I'm going to stop there because I still think on the whole it's a bit average and still a bit in the twiddly folk space for my liking. Okay. So I guess the song you're pushing for is And the Mouse Police Never Sleeps. Oh, God. Yeah, you, you read me like a book, you do. Yeah. And I thought you wouldn't, I wouldn't agree. So that's why I wanted to sort of hold back a little bit. I generally, I think, agree with everything you've said on that. It's an improvement, the style. I actually quite enjoyed this album, and I think it's. I might actually, in the future, put this one on, whereas I don't think I would ever bother with Songs from the Wood. I'd agree. With Songs from the Wood. I listen to Songs from the Wood, the song, and I listen to Whistler, but I wouldn't, you know, put, put, the, put the CD on or record on or whatever. This I might actually listen to as an album. I, I would, and I would be looking forward to the song Heavy Horses, because I think it's got some depth. And you can sort of get lost in it a little bit, which I like. Yeah. So uh, I, I agree. I, I might put this on, um, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and I would definitely enjoy listening to In the Mouse Police Never Sleep. So that's that's definitely my argument. I want that on there. And I, it definitely goes above Songs from the Wood and above To Alter Rock and Roll. Definitely. I mean, for me, just that, that the whole, as, I think as well, it's the lyrical content helps it as well because it's gone agricultural and it's not Jack's in the green and all that kind of nonsense. It's... It's more agricultural and then just just better, really. Um, so we're going with the mouse, please never sleep, then. Yeah, if you if you allow it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like heavy horses. I like moths. Yeah, moths um, is all right. Songs, yeah. but but I do. Mouse, please never sleep. Just is one of the standout tracks, I think. So I'm I'm okay with that. Okay, well, that was easier than I expected. Yeah, so we can take straight up to above songs from the ward, can't we? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Is it going to go any further? Well, for me, yes, it goes above too old, but it probably doesn't go above minstrel. I would agree with that. 
Okay. I think that's right. about right. Yeah. Then we've got another lineup issue coming up now because very sadly John Glasscock gets sick and uh, dies in heart surgery. And this quite upsets the band. And it's a band by this time that are already quite hacked off about working with Ian Anderson. They've been several, you know, a decade nearly of churning out album tour, album tour. By this point, Ian Anderson is Jeffrey Tull. The rest of them are on wages. He's the only one that's got uh, the percentage. They they seem to, according to the book I've just read about Jeffrey Tull, is they were they went on a wages for twelve months when they joined the band, and then once they passed their probation period, they then sort of went on to you know sort of like normal pay for being on a band. All right, I understood that because Ian Anderson was throwing so much money at this and having orchestras involved, they're all getting a bit annoyed about it. And so he said, well, I'll just pay your wages and I'll essentially pay the costs of these things out of, you know, and essentially become the owner of Jethro Tull. Yeah, I'm not sure whether that happened sort of the album after, you know, when they basically the big oh, lineup possibly. change happened. And then maybe there is also a reference that John Glascott was actually on less money than the others. But he was on. He had not been in the band as long, right? Because um, that upset Barrymore Barlow when he found out after after John Glascock had died. Well, I think I mean the, one of the main Barrymore Barlow was very close to John Glascock, so was very upset when he died. And I think they were, as I said, were getting sick anyway of the whole the whole thing by this point. I know we're, we're actually sort of getting slightly ahead of ourselves at this point. So Stormwatch, therefore, doesn't really have a proper bass player. So John Glasscock plays on a couple of the tracks and Dave Pegg comes in for the live work, but actually Ian Anderson plays the other tracks on bass himself. And That's correct. You never, in my view, if you get somebody who isn't really a bass player playing the bass, it's never quite the same. So that's a bit annoying for me on this album. So from my point of view... I actually quite like this album. I think it's another step up. I think it's, all right, we're suffering from less good bass and too much orchestration for my taste. But it's a bit, they've dialed down a little bit of the folky twiddly tree, twee country nonsense. And to me, it's just feeling a bit more solid, a bit more rocky. Some quite good stuff on here. Some stuff that I really quite like. So I I actually, I didn't expect this because I never really particularly appreciated this album before. But actually, for me, I thought, no, this is quite a lot better. So I'm, I'm, I'm putting this above Heavy Horses, even. Blimey. Didn't expect that, did you? I did not. No. I think this is very much a step down from Heavy Horses. Just never... It doesn't really do anything for me at all. Interesting. What about the song Home and Dark Ages? No, I mean, what I found was that when I was kind of drifting off, listening to it, that actually if you listen to it, sort of actually listening to the music... Again, that there's there's good stuff in there. You know, you could hear, you know, John Evan noodling around on the piano or a bit of orchestration from Dee Palmer or something. And you're saying, oh, yeah, that's nice. There's some nice music on the album. But again, I think sort of lyrically and just the whole, the whole general feel of it, just um, I just don't find interesting enough. And while I accept it's a good album in many ways, it, it just is not for me. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I... I think that, that, you know, you could say that about the whole folk rock trilogy. I think you can listen to the album, all three albums, and people will dis- disagree on which is the, the best one or whatever. But you can see that they're all good albums. But, you know, but personally, I only really like one of them strongly. OK, so in that case, we need to put it below Heavy Horses on the list. 
Because I, well, I which which picking? Well, I would argue for home. I personally wouldn't get interested enough to argue for anything. So if you want to pick home, that's quite fine with me. Well, I think it's between home, Dunring Girl, uh, Dark Ages. I quite like. In fact, I didn't particularly. I wasn't that bothered about Dark Ages, but I actually saw. Well, what's called Jethro Tull, which isn't really Ian Anderson and his little band uh, a few weeks ago, and they played Dark Ages. And I was thought, oh, God, that's a really good song. I must go back and listen to it. I'd sort of forgotten. And it is. It's a pretty good song, but I preferred Home. I thought Home was a really nice song. So that's my vote. So if I'll go for Home, oh. you can pick with, you can pick where you put it in the list. OK, so we'll put Home in. I think, you know, Dunring Gill is all right. But it's one of those little acoustic songs that is done so much better on other albums as yeah, well. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, so we'll put put home on the list, and for me, it's below songs of from the wood. Oh, oh no, no, you. It will no, be you... between War Child and Song Song. I think oh, to remember, you can maybe play back the um, edit, but I think you said I could pick where it was on the list. Yeah, I did, and I'm regretting that <laughs> immediately because this, this is absurd. This is this is. I, I mean, I was quite happy to put it below heavy horses and it, i would uh, well uh, i'd probably put it above too old to rock and roll i'd probably put it above heavy horses yeah well i think you've said that but it's i think several times in fact <laughs> yeah okay it's not going above heavy horses no okay i'm happy with that but it's really well so it's where so we'll, we'll put it up one place definitely as a token gesture definitely okay, okay. so it's now above songs from the wood but below too old to rock and roll but to be honest, I'm not that bothered about Too Old to Rock and Roll. Yeah, I can. I think it's better than Too Old to Rock and Roll. I don't yeah. know if I do, actually. I'm changing my mind. Just leave it where it is. Yeah, okay. I, it's a compromised they're, they're, situation. Yeah, I mean, there's sort of clusters in the middle where the where the albums are quite similar in terms of how much I like them, although very, yeah. very different in style. And it's, you know, one day one might be above the other or one day the other. I don't know. So that's good enough. The position is approximately fine. Right. Yeah, let's leave it with that. I think we could um, move all those here all around for um, for a long time. Yeah, exactly. And there's no point. We'd end up just sort of equally kind yeah. of doubtful. Yeah, it wouldn't make great entertainment, would it? Not really, not really. But I mean, this, at this point, the band is now really disintegrating because we said about poor old John Glasscock and we said about how much that upset Barry Ballet. And there's loads and loads of different stories about what really happens next. But in... To cut a long story short, Barry Moore Barlow leaves, apparently by mutual consent. Um, Dee Palmer and John Evan are then sent dismissal letters. And the band sort of continues with Dave Pegg on bass from Fairport Convention. Martin Barr is still on guitar and Ian, of course. And they make what was going to be apparently Ian Anderson's first solo album with the rubbish name A, which ended up being a Jethro Tull album. So it depends on which story you believe here about this great reshuffle. But really, you you end up with Ian Anderson and Martin Barr and then the new guy Dave Pegg on bass. Yeah, so basically Ian and Martin become Jeffro Tull. Yeah, well, Dave Pegg as well, really. I mean, he's he seems to be sort of welcomed into the fold immediately. I don't know about um, his contract situation. Maybe he was on probation, but because he did play on the tour, the Stormwatch tour. Yes, he did, yeah. And I think on that tour as well, I think that's where Ian saw Eddie Jobson. Oh, that's he, right, yeah was very impressed with him and wanted to work with him. And that was part of the reason for doing this solo album as well, was because he wanted to work with Eddie Jobson. Oh, OK, because he played with people like Roxy Music. I think he was in a band called UK at the time. But he was quite a uh, reasonably well-known figure. So, they, so Ian pulls together with 
with Martin Barr, with Dave Pegg, Eddie Jobson and a guy called Mark Craney on drums. And he makes what was going to be a solo album, which is not a great album, I have to say, by any means. And it's got the rubbish name A because that was just a sort of working title for for A for Anderson. But I would have changed the name, you know, just because you've written A on a tape doesn't mean you can't change it. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is a poor name. Poor name, poor album, poor thing where they're all going around wearing jumpsuits. The whole thing's just poor. The jumpsuits are awful. Yeah. It, it's amazing, really, when you think... I know they do kind of like image changes, but when you see the tour, the A tour, of Ian in his jumpsuit with his, with his hair cut and just think, like, two years before what he was jumping around the stage in, it's just like, it's unbelievable that they can do that kind of change. Yeah, I mean, I always admire a band that tries to sort of reinvent itself and tries to move with the times and doesn't just repeat the same old thing. And Jeff Rettel have always done that from those early days of playing blues through the folk stuff, the prog stuff. So it's reasonable we're in the early 80s now. Are we in 1980 or 1981? This is 1980. So people are starting to use synths. They're starting to get much more echo on on the production. It's a different kind of feel to it. So I'm not against bands trying to do that by any means. No. But it just doesn't I, work I for Jeffrey at all, in my view. I, I think this one's okay. I think it's another one of those okay albums. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> yeah, I, I, perhaps it was because I was expecting worse when I sort of sat down and listened to it a couple of times. But I have to say, it's all, it, it's all right. It's not brilliant, obviously. But, you know, Crossfire and Flying Dale Flyer are both all quite good. I mean, I think, I'm assuming we're not going to argue about the best song on this No, album. obviously, it's obviously Black Sunday. Yeah, so there's, there's um, that, that's something. But I, I think I'm, I would be rating it higher than you would be. Yeah, I mean, I would. So, I, I would, so you tell me where you want to put it. I would. Is it, is it at the bottom? <laughs> it, to be honest, it probably is at the bottom. Yes, at this point. It's not. It doesn't remain at the bottom, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, <laughs> I know that. <laughs> um, but it, it probably is at the bottom at this point because I kind of. Well, it doesn't matter. I won't go on. You see, for me, and get get ready to um, swear again. I would have it above Stormwatch. I think it's a better album than Stormwatch. Do you know what? <laughs> I mean, the whole point of this is that we ha- is that we kind of I'm not... decide between us. Yeah, Where these so I go. think in the spirit of compromise, I do think it should be above Warchild. I'm happy for it to go above Warchild, although I've got more affection for Warchild, but I think it's I'm happy for it to go above Warchild. But I'd, I'd so below Songs from the Wood. Oh, I'd, probably yeah. yeah. I mean, I was putting yeah. it at the bottom a second ago, so obviously I suppose yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're putting it below everything, so don't. Yeah, but you know what it's like when you put them against something else. You think I just don't really like Songs from the Wood very much. And black and you know yeah. it does have Black Sunday on it, which is ace. It's one of yeah. the best different songs ever. Definitely, which, which they also played live the other week when I saw them. By mm. the way, um, but I think Songs from the Wood for me has Songs from the Wood on it, obviously, and The Whistler, which are two very strong songs as well. So in a way, right. it's twice let's, as good as A. Let's leave it there then. Yeah, yeah, we don't need to spend too long with A, do we? No. And and really, I, this is the point at which I think anyway, Jeff Rittle should have probably either gone on hiatus for a bit and then got back together, or we just have to accept that it's it's just a very different band from this point on. You've lost yeah. John, you've lost John Evan, you've lost Barry Barlow, you've lost all the previous bass players. 
you know, it, it's just such a different beast now. Although Dave Pegg's great, I have no problem with him whatsoever on bass, and he's, he's a real character. It's just for me, it's a very different band from this point onwards. Oh, de- definitely. And I think after Stormwatch, the the apparent plan was to take a year off. They should have done. Um, Ian made his solo album, and then they would have come back and discussed what their new sound was going to be after doing that trilogy of the folk rock. I think it seems from what I've read that their relationships were just destroyed over the Stormwatch period. John Evan and Ian Anderson apparently never talked on that tour at all. So I think it was probably too late. They should have, well, for me, especially because I don't like Stormwatch, is they should have probably done that after Heavy Horses had their break. Ian was apparently planning to do a solo album of just acoustic songs. So we'd have probably got Dunring Gill anyway um, and perhaps done that and then come back as a group. Well, that would have worked okay. Because I think going forward, the Jeffro Tull albums that work are still good. There are still some good albums to come, but the ones that aren't good are a lot weaker than the albums I don't like that we've already said. Yeah, I probably agree, but I mean, we'll get to that. Let's. I, I mean, I, yeah. I, I think that, that they were relentless in the 70s in terms of album, album, tour, album, tour, album, tour. And then with John Glasscock's health, with Ian Anderson's way of being such a bossy boots in charge of everything obviously they really needed a break and it's such a pity they didn't do that but anyway we are where we are we can't go back and change that so they go on to make well eddie jobson only played on that one album he's now replaced by a guy called peter john vitesse and uh mark craney only played on that album the late mark craney who has also sadly died since and that he's replaced by jerry conway on this who subsequently went on to play in fairport convention so they made The Broadsword and the Beast, 1982, which I think was the first album I ever heard of Jeff Rotel. What do you think of this one? I like this one. I think it's it's quite strong. The um, the songs are good overall. It's not their strongest album by, by a long stretch, but there are some very good songs on here. Fallen on Hard Times, obviously. Slow Marching Bands, Broadsword. Pussy Willow's quite good. But yeah, it's certainly the the electronic stage of Jeffro Tull at its most successful. Yeah, I'd agree. I think it's quite it's quite nice, it's quite poppy, but it's still got a very Jeffro Tully sound. I think they managed to sort of combine those those ideas pretty well on this album. I think it works well. I, I like mm. I like most of the songs. It's not gonna blow anyone away, I don't think. But I, I do quite I do like pretty much everything on it, to be honest. I, I would I'd agree. I do think it's it's quite strong. And I guess we do have kind of another trilogy here of sort of electronic led albums. And and this is the best one of the three. Oh, definitely, and it's the least electronic, in a sense. It actually combines quite well the old Jeff Rettel, more folky, rocky thing with the electronics. I think <clears throat> I think pretty successfully. Because I mean, the electronic thing doesn't especially suit Jeff Rettel. No, and, no, you know. And there's a lot of albums that lost their way in the albums. Sorry, bands that lost their way in the eighties. And I think you know, Jeff Rettel did better than a, a oh, lot yeah. of bands in the eighties. You know. I guess so, yeah. I mean, just wait till we talk about Pink Floyd in the 1980s. Then there's going to be some blue language flying around. So which song are we going to choose? Well, I would suggest Fallen on Hard Times is the obvious standout. I don't think that's so obvious. I mean, I'm happy with that. That's fine. I like Flying Colours. I like Slow Marching Band. I like Pussy Willow. I don't even... I quite like The Clasp, actually. But I'm happy with Fallen on Hard Times. That's Yeah. Well, I mean, all of it, there's no... I don't think... Is there a bad song? I can't remember Seal Driver off the top of my head. Cheerio. Uh, um, <laughs> well, we'll put that on. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think for me, Fallen on Hard Times and Slow Marching Band are probably the favourite two 
Yeah, well, you choose whichever of those you like best. I don't mind out of those two. Well, let's go for slow. I prefer slow marching band. No, I'm fine with slow marching band as long as it as long as it's one of those two. So where are we putting it in the order? Right. So, I would suggest probably above heavy horses, in between heavy horses and minstrel. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I was. I might even put it above minstrel, but I'm happy with where you suggested. Yeah, I think it's a kind of similar area. I think yeah. I mean it's it's with minstrel on a similar similar score. Okay. Well, let's just leave it there. That's fine. Yeah. I I have a as I said, I think it was the first album I ever listened to, so I do have perhaps a little bit extra affection for it than it may deserve. So I'm happy to knock it down a peg. Yeah. I mean I think it, it is actually strong and I I expected um because I've not listened to it for a while and I expected it to be a bit embarrassing as a lot of the stuff that was produced in the 80s sort of is now and sounds you know dated but it is strong and i think part part of that is probably it's the the remaster that they've done which makes it sound uh, makes it sound good yeah people turning down the echo a bit but it does helps. i just still sound up yeah well then then ian anderson did make a solo album called walk into light which he made with peter john vertess also writing a few of the songs and peter john vertess actually wrote quite a few or co-wrote quite a few on broadsword as well the most influential in terms of writing the apart that I think in the entire history of the band. But then they came back the same lineup, although they don't have a drummer, do they, on Under Wraps, which is the next album, nineteen eighty four. There's no drummer on no, this, they... it's all electronic drums. But you've still got Dave Pegg, still got Martin Barr, and you've still got Peter John Vertess. And they produce Under Wraps, which I think is the best cover they've done on all their albums. So just to start with something positive. Well, I'm not Sure. I quite like... I'm going through the covers now. So Stand Up, I like. Benefit, I quite like. Don't make us go through them all. Um, I'm just pointing out the few I like, sort of more than others. Yeah, I'll go with those two. My favourite two are Passion Play and this one, Under Wraps. I think they're the best two covers. I really I really think they're really good covers. And I don't generally like the covers, as I said, of their albums. So what do you think of this album anyway? I, I mean, I know anyway, because I know what everybody thinks of this album. It's shite. That's that's a nice summary. I, I would go along with that. I do think it's 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 really really poor. <laughs> it's the first I've been listening to going through Jeffro Tour, listening to mainly one album a day, and we're here in lockdown in our little office with my wife in the other half of the room. And this is the first album that had us both laughing. Are you are you actually laughing? Song. Oh, one laughing, of the songs. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think there's one song where obviously Ian's cat walks across the keyboard because there's just loads of random noises going on. And it, it is just like, it, it just really doesn't work at no, all for me. I think that's the point is I admire them for trying to do something very different and Ian opening up to Peter John Vertesse's ideas, but it doesn't work. It's as simple as that. It does not work. It's It's not a good album. There's no way of dressing this up. I do like two songs on it. Though one is Under Wraps 2, which is again an acoustic number and doesn't really, it could have been on any Jeff Rettel album, quite frankly. And, mm. the, and the other one is Heat, which I actually really like. I think that's a really nice song. Okay. So that's your nomination for the ranking. Yeah. I I think yeah. It's, I think that would be a good song. I mean, it wouldn't fit on any other album in terms of the tone because it's such so, so an electronic sound, but I actually really enjoy that song. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I don't find anything on this album particularly enjoyable there are some that aren't 
as bad later that same evening in Lap of Luxury, probably. European Legacy, actually, that's probably the most sort of tool-like song, I would say. Yeah, we'll just put Heat on the list and we'll put it at the bottom, aren't we? Is that what we're agreeing? Of course we're going to do that. Right, well, but um, let's do that then. Yeah, I'm not going to argue over a song because I, I don't think anything on that album is strong enough. I think European Legacy is probably the best song on there for me, but I, it, it's um, it's not really a good album. And this is, I think, when Ian's voice started to go. Yeah, it was on the tour of this, wasn't it? He had problems with his vocal cords yeah. on the tour of this, and then so from this point on, the, the the voices really does become a lot more limited. Yeah, and I think it, I mean to me, I don't know whether it's just the way they recorded it, but the vocals actually on the album aren't aren't as good. I admit that may be to do with the way it was recorded. I don't know, but I think yeah. even, even the band didn't particularly like the album, did they? It was I think you told me that Dave Pegg was saying that even he thought there was better souls, songs that they left off the Broadsword and the Beast than they put on this album. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, so I think his 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 voice was going, and I think if you listen to the album as well, there's certainly significant evidence that his hearing was going as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after this album, this is now getting into our kind of contemporary period for us from when we were sort of teenagers so uh, i actually saw them live after this album the first time i ever saw them live 1986 they were supporting marillion at milton Keynes bowl and their lineup was don perry on drums who now becomes their regular drummer from this point onwards dave pegg on bass of course martin Barr, ian anderson and peter john vertes was playing keyboards so I, that's the first time i saw them and then peter john vertes left and they made the next album, Christopher Nave. They don't have a keyboard player on this. I think Ian Anderson does the keyboards. Yeah, I think so. So Christopher Nave, this is the Grammy-winning Christopher Nave that controversially beat Metallica as the best heavy rock album, um, which is that everyone sort of says sounds like Dire Straits, which I think is a... You can't escape that. No, there's a definite similarity. But um, I, I again, this is one of the other albums that I thought wouldn't stand up, having because li- I haven't listened to it for quite a while. I listened to it quite a lot at the time and really liked it. And I've listened to it again. And actually, I still think it quite stands up and it's quite a good album. I don't like it as much as I did at the time, but there are some very good songs on there. Some of the lyrics don't date that well. We're talking about perving over women again. But generally, I've, I think it's a really good album. And the reissue of the album as well, they've also put part of the machine on as well, which makes it a lot stronger. I mean, I always I always stick to the original songs, and I don't bother with these kind of special editions and reissues. I mm. I, I listen to the original. What was the original album? So it's, for me, it's just got mm. the seven songs on it, and I, I agree yeah, with you. It's recorded about then. I agree with you that it totally stands up as an album still, and I again didn't quite expect that. I think half of it is really strong and really enjoyable. The other half is kind of okay, but it it definitely stands up. It's a good album. What's your favourite song then? Jumpstart. Jumpstart's great. It's a brilliant song live. I really like it. Um, I'm happy to go with that, although I would have pushed for Farm on the Freeway. Yeah, I like Farm on the Freeway is good as well. I w- I'd agree. I do. It, for me, Jumpstart is is the, the standout track on the album. So I don't think there is a standout is track. Quite fun as well. I don't think there is a standout track. I think there's three or four tracks which are really good. And Jumpstart's one of them. Farm on the Freeway, Budapest is good as well. But anyway, I'm happy with Jumpstart, so let's let's go with that. Where, where are we putting it in the ranking? This is the difficult thing, because I put it quite high. Yeah, I think, would you put it above Broadsword and the Beast? I probably would, but yeah, I, 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 I will accept an argument. I will, yeah, I do entirely agree. I probably would, because I think, to me, it's got more depth to it. 
I kind of quite like the slightly longer songs with a bit more going on. So for me, yeah, I probably would. Okay, I'm happy with that. I don't want it to go above Minstrel in the Gallery because I, I think that's a slightly stronger for me. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I would have put Minstrel slightly further lower, but we've talked about that. We've done that. Yeah, don't need to go back through that, do we? No. So this this lineup now with the the three core members of the band now of Dave Pegg, Martin Barnes, Ian Anderson, Don Perry, the regular drummer most of the time. And keyboard player changes in and out. Don Airy played with them at this point live. Um, Martin Alcock came in as well. But I don't think they played on the albums. It was just uh, Ian doing the keyboards on the albums at this point. And they come out with Rock Island, which they seem to work in trilogies. And if Crest of an Ave is the beginning of a new trilogy where they've got a kind of a slightly adult-orientated rock feel, perhaps Rock Island is another attempt at that. But in my opinion, a much less good attempt a much less charming version. An album I never fell in love with, never really liked. Yeah, I think I bought this at the time. I think this is the first sort of full album. I went out to the record shop when it came out. And so I listened to it a lot. And I did get into it and quite liked it at the time. On reassessing, I think it's really, really weak. I do. Kissing Willie is embarrassing. Oh, oh my God, that's awful. The lyrics are awful. I mean, that's not a double entendre. It's just plain filth. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Rock Island, I like as a song. And Strange Avenues, although mainly it's just really the intro that's good rather than the actual whole song. And maybe just because the album's ending, you're just sort of grateful. Thank God that's finished. Well, I do, I do like the intro. It's, it's a good intro. Are we going for Rock Island as the song? Because I actually have no... For me, there isn't a single standout track on this album at all. It's the first album I just couldn't even think of a song to suggest. Yeah. Well, for me, it, it's... I suppose it is. It's Rock Island or Strange Avenues. I don't care. You choose because I don't like anything. Um, I'm going off in the strop and having nothing to do with it. Okay. I'm picking Strange Avenues as it's shorter. Okay. Mercifully shorter. So just thinking that if anyone actually does listen to the playlist, it does. Half of the song is actually quite good. I like the build up and then it's quicker. But if you listen to Rock Island, it's nearly seven minutes long. And even though I actually quite like the song, that is quite long. Yeah, who's got that caught in the time for that sort of mediocrity? If you're that if you're that bothered, just go listen to the album. So where in the list does it go? It goes above under wraps. Yep, I entirely agree. And no further. And no further. Absolute bloody rubbish. And um I mean those two are just like the ones who just have no interest in listening to it in any way, shape or form. Yeah, it's just nothing. Whereas everything above it I think has you know, has something to has something about it. Everything else has got something that you admire or like or a song that you want to put on. So then they went on again, which would be the third of what I think of as this trilogy and made Catfish Rising. And again, this is the time I was seeing them live loads of times, saw them in loads of different locations. I even met them once as I hung around the stage door in uh, Hanley Victoria Hall, I think it was, in uh, Stoke. I think it was around this time. We went to see them in Hull, didn't we? Because they did... um, they did that little light music with Dave Mattax on drums, just to play as a four-piece with Dave Mattax on drums. So they toured around this time. I think there was probably Martin Alcock, another uh, late Martin Alcock, another one, unfortunately, who's who's no longer with us, and, and the rest of the lineup the same. What do you think of Catfish Rising? I think at, at the time, again, this is one I rushed out and bought, and I never really got into this one. And it was, it was the last one I bought at the time, basically, because of that. I do just think it is generally quite week i like rocks on the road gold tip boots black jacket and tie it's, it's uh very jolly it's a very very silly name yeah 
I mean, at the time when it came out, I cannot state this strong enough, but hated Still Loving You Tonight and Doctor To My Disease. Oh, Doctor to, Doctor to My Disease is absolutely dreadful. I agree. Mm. I agree. Having re-listened more recently, I don't feel quite so strongly about the whole thing. But in, on, on both ends of the scale, to be honest, I mean, the songs I like, I probably liked less. And the songs I didn't like, I... I don't sort of have such a loathing for, but for me, it's not, it, it's a bit weak. It doesn't really do anything for me. I can see what Ian's trying to do. He's trying to go back to his roots a bit and he's gone more sort of acoustic-y, folky, bit of blues and all that kind of thing, which obviously after Rock Island, it needed to do something. So that's fair enough, but for me, it, it doesn't work. It's just a bit long and boring. i got not much to add to that. At the time, I quite liked it. I thought it was a real step up from Rock Island and thought that they'd actually done quite well in trying to, as you say, go back to their roots a little bit, but still in the kind of contemporary way. So at the time, I thought this was pretty good. I really liked Rocks on the Road. Songs like Tall Thin Girl kind of harked back a little bit to Fat Man, and I thought I quite liked what they were trying to do. But again, it didn't survive a new listen when we were preparing for this. It just didn't survive it at all. I just thought this is so much worse than I remember. I was quite looking forward to it, uh, especially as I laboured through Rock Island. And then I was quite disappointed. But the standout track is Rocks on the Road. For me, that's non-negotiable. Do you agree? Okay. When I say it's non-negotiable, of course it's negotiable. Yeah, but but we agree, fortunately. But I think think it seems like a very sort of conscious effort of going back to the roots. And it's kind of like, yeah, let's sort of do a sort of Fat Man Budapest crossover and it's like a tall thin girl and it's... Yeah. I don't know, it is kind of like sort of, you know, told by numbers that he's just done and just thought, right, let's do this kind of song. And it's it's just, yeah, I just find it, it's just a bit dull. So where in the list does it go? I mean, definitely above Rock Island. So we're above Rock Island, aren't we? Does it yeah. climb higher? I mean, for me, I wouldn't want it above A, so I could move it above This Was and War Child, but I wouldn't move it any further. I don't, leave, I don't mind leaving it where it is. I'd leave it where it is, and I'm judging that on the fact that I would go back and listen to War Child, potentially. But I don't think I would go back to listen to Catfish Rising, except Rocks Mm -hmm. on the Road. I would listen to Rocks on the Road. Fair enough. We'll leave it there, then. Okay. Well, this is is now about the time that me and you both kind of just sort of lost a bit of interest. Because it was the early 90s, we had different phases in our lives. We'd moved on to different kind of music that we were listening to. And really... Jeff Rattel felt like something that we were walking away from. So Roots to Branches, which is the next album. So we've still got Ian Anderson, obviously, Martin Barr. Dave Pegg's vastly losing interest at this point. He is only actually on three tracks, and most of the bass is done by a guy called Steve Bailey, who never really crops up again. I don't think he plays live. And in fact, I know he doesn't play live on this tour. It's Jonathan Noyce plays live on this tour. And they've acquired a keyboard player again. They've got Andrew Giddings crops up on keyboard. He did play on catfish rising but he wasn't in the band he was just a session musician but he's now in the band and still don perry on drums we never really bothered with it did we we did actually see them live on the tour i think but um in sheffield but we never really bothered with them i mean i never really listened to this album at all until i went back now yeah me too i think i've listened to the odd track of it but i couldn't really remember this album at all and you know what i listened to it and i thought this is actually really good I was, yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised with it. I was amazed at how much I liked it. Me compared too. To, I was expecting to hate it. Me too. And I have to say, I really admire that Ian pulled this one out 
after that sort of mediocrity of the last couple of albums we talked about. And this really feels it's got some real tension to it. It feels different. It's got that kind of Arabic feels, quite a lot of it. Um, I think Valley is probably the weakest track, but I don't dislike it. And the rest of it, I have to say, is is pretty good stuff. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I liked sort of the whole general sort of vibe of the album. I didn't think there was any standout tax, tracks particularly, so I'm going to struggle with the picking a track thing. But I, I did like it it was the one i sort of looked forward to going back and listening to again and i still quite liked it the second time yeah me too i listened to it um you know at least sort of three or four times and then went back to a couple of tracks and listened to them again so i i'm going to rank this higher i really thought i was going to have a bit of a tussle with you on this one but it sounds like we may be like-minded mm. i think perhaps you're going to want to push it a little higher than i am but i'm i think we're in general agreement yeah well my my I don't think the standout track, I kind of agree with you. I've just got some that I like more than others. I, I, okay. I do like another Harry's Bar. I think that's a really lovely song. I think Roots to Branches is a good opener. It's a good song. Rare and Precious Chain is nice. I'd probably push for Dangerous Veils because I really do like the flute lick on it. I think that's really quite quite nice. So, that's, oh, okay. so I'm going to go for Dangerous Veils, but a massive pleasant surprise, this album. Yeah, it was. I'm happy to go with your track choice because I, I I like a lot of them. I quite like the Stuck in the August Rain one. That yeah. was a nice tune. Yeah, it really is. It just isn't very representative of the album, but it is. It's a really nice song. No. So the next thing to decide is where it goes. Well, all right. Well, I'm just going to be like like Mr. Controversial here and say, okay. and say I'm just going to start higher up than I think you would want it and then see what you say. Well, I'm going to say put it... Why not? Well, go on. Why not start with where you think it should be? Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Rather than picking somewhere higher. No, no, I want it. No, no, no. I'm pick, well, I just think that I'm saying that that's the same thing. I'm putting it. Okay. I'm putting it above minstrel, below stand up. Ooh, blimey! Stunned silence. Yeah, you see, I'd probably have it in between heavy horses and too old to rock and roll here. Oh, blinking neck, we're miles apart. Well, not miles apart because I mean, I, a lot of those albums, there's not a lot between a lot of them. I mean, I'm happy to say, uh, definitely, I think I'm, I can compromise with Above Heavy Horses, so we're within four albums of each other. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I just think it's got so much more going on, it's so much more interesting, there's a lot more, and it works, it just really works, and still sounds like Jeffrey Atoll, but relevant. For the 90s, I just think that's an incredible achievement. Yeah, I think going above Minstrel is a bit too much. Well, I think it is up there with those albums. Well, I'm... What, I, what I, about I, above, above Crest of a Knave, in between Crest of a Knave and Minstrel? I think, that's, I think that's generous of you. So, I mean, if you're willing to cede that much ground, that's fine by me. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I'm kind of putting it in a, a block for me. It's in a group with... Crest of a Knave and Broadsword, but it would, and possibly Heavy Horses, but it would probably for me be at the bottom of that group. But at least it with it's within that group. Okay, well, you know what I mean. Their albums on a similar level. All right, well, I mean, if you're okay with that, then you know you've you've ceded me a fair bit of territory there, so I, I can't argue. So let's yeah, let's get on to what we decided was the last one because we couldn't face listening to the Jeff Rettel Christmas album. No, and I think the Christmas album, it, it, there was a lot of old stuff on it, so it isn't really a true album. Well, the rules of the Jeffrey podcast are that we only really talk about 
the studio discography as defined by whatever Wikipedia says. And Wikipedia put the Christmas album in there. So then we just thought, well, we'll break the rules when we fancy. And we decided that the Christmas album, as you said, has a lot of older stuff, which has been re-recorded. And a few covers as well, of course, you know, of, of things like God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. So we just thought we can't cope with that. We've we've listened to like 20 albums or 21 albums by this point. So jeffretool.com, jtool.com was the last, <clears throat> our last one. What, yeah. what do you think? I was listening to more because I'd listened to the um, the sort of Chateau Disaster album as well because I was thinking about whether to argue for including that. And also I listened to Living in the Past because it's great. Oh, Living in the Past is brilliant. I love Living in the Past, yeah. especially the second record, which has the live side from Carnegie Hall, which I adore. And then it has that last side of loads of different things like it, um, Dr. Bogan Broom and Up the Pool. I, I yeah. love that side. I don't particularly like the first record as much, which has a lot of their old singles on. Yeah, I do really. If it was included, it would be in my top five. Oh, definitely. Mine too. Um, Mine too. Albums. Yeah. But it is a compilation, so... So it's out, sorry. You know, it's defaulted out, unfortunately. And there's loads of compilation stuff, and there's loads of stuff like in the box sets where they've released, when they've got unreleased stuff. And I'm sorry, if they decided Chateau Disaster wasn't for release, then it doesn't go on our list. Sorry, fella. No, fair enough, but they should have released it. So what do you, what do you think of jtool.com anyway? I thought it was awful. <laughs> what, even Mango Flush? Especially Mango Flush. <laughs> that is the second point where me and my wife we were laughing. At the, oh, it's uh, awful. Music. And the third point presumably be Mango Surprise when it kind of half reprises itself. Yeah. Indeed. It's kind of like the, it's like the record's not bad enough, but we're going to do a reprise of it. Yeah. What's the <laughs> worst track? Of, of the worst track I have ever written in my my life. Well, it's actually it's actually part written by Martin Barr as well. So unusually, it's not just an Ian Anderson track, and it sort of, oh, okay. it, it really makes the case for Ian. Just let Ian write the songs. Yeah, it's, it's bloody <laughs> awful. But I mean, there's I mean, there's some things that are okay on here. I don't mind the song dot com. I don't mind Far Alaska. Wicked Windows is all right, but I agree that I think the album's pretty pretty ropey. I think again, this they seem to be trying to. Do and do roots to branches again, but slightly differently. But it's, yeah. it just doesn't work. It's nowhere near its its predecessor. I, I think when Jeffrey at all do try and copy the previous album, was it, they've done that here. It didn't work. Rock Island was trying to copy Crest of a Knave, didn't work. War Child was trying to copy Passion Play, didn't work. So probably Heavy Horses. Heavy Horses maybe tried to copy songs from the wood, probably did work. It's about the only time when they actually sort of built up. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. I don't know whether that was as, as copy as... I mean, maybe it was. But yeah, I mean, that did work. But I think there's um, there's a few... When they try and do more straight copies, I think it, it just doesn't... Yeah. Hasn't, hasn't worked. Yeah. Do, do you have a favourite song of this? Well, like I said, the .com, Far Alaska. You know, as I say, Wicked Windows is all right. I'm not going to fight over this. Well... As long as it's not uh, hot mango, flush. it's not going to be hot mango flush or indeed mango surprise. So, I, well, just go for .com then. I, I do think that's quite an okay, okay track. And I came to this much more optimistically because I'd been so pleasantly surprised by Roots to Branches. So I really was kind of approaching this thinking, you know, I'm going to enjoy this. So perhaps that's why I think it's crap. <laughs> My expectations were too high. Yeah, I don't think it helped, but I mean that's why you listen to it more than once. Because this is the one album I think I'd never heard anything from until we started going through these albums. 
So I did listen to it twice and I won't be listening to it again. Obviously, the second time I was I was ready, ready for it. I knew what to expect. You were tense, ready to go. Generally, you know, it's, it's not hideous, but it, it's really, there's not really anything there. No, I mean, I, I would put it probably above Catfish Rising and I Ooh. don't think I'd go much higher. No, well, I wouldn't go that high. Would you not? Would you put it? Would you put it above Rock Island? No. Oh my God! Really? You're going to put it just above Under Wraps? Oh yeah, obviously not. Not below Under Wraps. No, obviously. That would be crazy. All right. Well, I would definitely put it higher. Well, I mean, I think my argument for Rock Island is is that there is like one or two decent tracks on there. Well, I think there's one or two decent tracks on this. Jtool.com is more interesting. So it's nicer listened to than Under Wraps as a general, the whole vibe and feeling of it. But ultimately, I didn't really enjoy any of the songs sort of individually. Well, fair enough. I mean, you seeded ground significantly on the roots to branches. So I, I think I have well, to I mean, accept this one. Well, I mean, you can go Rock Island if, if you want. Okay, I do want. Okay, we'll, we'll do that then. Um, but no further. Okay, all right. That's fair enough. You've been you've been very kind to me. So so we've done it. We've done all these albums Jeffrey Toll, after this point, made the Christmas album. The lineup did change again later, but they didn't actually record any albums. So actually, Dave Goodyear ended up on bass. Jonathan Noyce left because he didn't like the touring schedule. Andrew Giddings left, replaced by John O'Hara. And Don Perry and Martin Barron, typical Ian Anderson style, sort of just... Ian Anderson just <laughs> formed another band <laughs> with um, different people. So they were just sort of not there anymore. And I saw an interview with Ian Anderson. Would uh, someone asked him, "Would when when?" Because it sort of became Ian Anderson doing his solo stuff with uh, this band, and then they just sort of went under the name of Jethro Tull. And people said to Ian Anderson, "Would Martin Barr be welcome back in the band?" And Ian Anderson's sort of argument was, "Well, no, because he doesn't really check his email," which I thought was quite a, quite a weak reasoning, you know, because now everything's done online and they have sort of shared area where they have all the songs and hotel bookings and tour information and stuff. And, you know, Martin Barr just doesn't check his email. So um, I don't expect them. I don't expect him to rejoin. It's a quite a good joke, though. I don't think he meant it as a joke. I mean, he was he was uh, all completely serious. And uh, the new guitarist, I really like him. Yeah. He's really, really good. I really like him. But it sort of feels a little bit, this isn't Jethro Chill anymore. It's Ian Anderson and his band. Yeah. I think that was a, a financial decision, isn't it? And the fact that when you're trying to sell concert tickets, it's easier to sell them. For Jeffro Tull and it's Rian Anderson. Yeah. But it, obviously, it's, it's not Jeffro Tull. And Martin Barr's also touring. He's got a band out and he's got occasionally plays with Clive Bunker on drums as well. And sometimes Dee Palmer rocks up as well. So they're probably worth seeing because their singer is actually really good, whereas Ian Anderson can't sing anymore. He's still a great performer and musician, but he can't sing. So I'd recommend going to see Martin Barr's band, actually. Although I do like every player in Ian Anderson's band, I think they're, they're cracking. Should we just run through this list then, top bottom to top? So at the bottom is under wraps. Yeah, no controversy there. Above that is Rock Island. And then it's jtool.com. Yep, then Catfish Rising. Then probably the start of the actual better albums. Um, certainly a step up, I think, um, to this was. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Everything above here has actually got a lot to say for itself. Uh, War Child is next. And then there's A. Yeah, and then I think there's another step up now, and we're going to Songs from the Wood. I think so. Um, and then the Stormwatch. Then Too Old to Rock and Roll, Too Young to Die. Probably another bit of a step up now, actually. Heavy Horses. Okay, so that was another step up. Broadsword and the Beast. And then Crest of a Knave. Then Roots to Branches. And then another step up for me 
anyway, um, to Minstrel in the Gallery. Yeah, the step up for me is after Minstrel in the Gallery on Stand Up. And then it's a Passion Play. Yeah, which is another step up, in my opinion. And then Benefit. Yeah, I think the big step up for me is actually for Benefit there. But um, And then we have another step up, I think, for the top two. And next is Aqualung. And top of the tree is, of course, Thick as a Brick. But any of those top few albums are absolutely brilliant. So, Well, there you go. That was quite a, quite an epic journey. Okay, so that's the final ranking. Are there any on there that really surprised you? What surprised you the most? Well, Roots to Branches turned out to be a really good album. And it was at the point where me and you had lost interest in the band and therefore never listened to it properly. And even though we saw them live around that time, we were just going through the motions of looking at a band that we used to like but we felt weren't that relevant anymore so then when you whack that album on you think blimey this is actually pretty good and it's really interesting and it's emotional and it's you know you i I didn't see that coming at all i I was completely surprised yeah and and i suppose the other one go on i was gonna say yeah i i agree since we actually recorded the the main part of the podcast i've also listened to it a few times i found myself with roots to branches moving from what I said from my opinion on the podcast to actually to your opinion. And I think, wow. I actually think it's a bit stronger than I was saying. And I also don't, I think Valley is the worst song on there. So I think I've actually, with a few more listens, actually reached your opinion on that album. Yeah, it's it's shocking, isn't it? And, and I think there is a natural bias with bands that their older stuff somehow has more credibility and newer stuff it's it's harder for them to sort of break through obviously bands have that kind of moment in the sun where they're really relevant and you can't stay there for long no no band can stay you know right on the cutting edge of the zeitgeist forever so therefore they tend to sort of have less credibility as the, the longer they go on so it felt quite a hard you know a hard sell to sort of say actually here's a 1996 album which is really bloody good and belongs in their top five albums it shocked me i really didn't expect it I do wonder, though, really, if in 1995, I think it was, whether we would actually, even if we'd have given it more time, would we have liked it then? And I wonder whether just being a bit older actually helps. Whether actually in 95, when it was was more Britpop going on and all that kind of thing, whether this was actually would have been relevant to, what, 1995, I'd been 22 and listening to Britpop, would I have been interested in Roots to Branches? But I, but I certainly like it now. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, uh, I mean, at that point, we were all listening to, you know, we'd had Nirvana and the Pixies and bands like that. There's Radiohead around that just breaking through. As you said, you've got Oasis, Blur, Britpop, uh, Portishead, bands like that are coming in. You know, hip-hop's actually started and been quite interesting for a bit. So you've got so many different things. So listening to Jeffrey Atoll by that point didn't feel very relevant. So for them to actually produce something that good, I think, is amazing. But you're right, maybe we wouldn't have appreciated it. But we do now. Now we're older and we know more. We appreciate it a lot more. But what was interesting as well, and you said this when we recorded the main podcast, is albums that we liked at the time, were Crest of an A, Broadsword and the Beast, were actually still good. And that's what surprised me. I thought they would really kind of tumble down the list and think, oh my God, these were nowhere near as good as I remember. But actually they were. They were pretty good albums. Yeah. I think Broadsword and the Beast especially, because I had a few years ago we listened to that and it did sound quite poor but i think now you listen to it after it's been remastered it sounds good again oh right okay but i think the the original cd or version of it really did sound very dated and in a way that you know only sort of horrible 80s recorded stuff can it had that that sheen on it at the other end of the scale 
I remember liking Catfish Rising when it came out and thinking that they'd done a good job after Rock Island, which I didn't like, and thinking they'd done a good job of sort of going back to their roots and coming up with something bluesier and rockier. And I also remember thinking Songs from the Wood was a good album, and I really didn't like it. And its position on the list here reflects your uh, opinion more than mine, I think. So they were two that I thought were better than they were, and they really didn't stand up for me. Yeah, I mean, the other one that I really had dismissed and actually liked a bit more, and have listened a couple of times again since the podcast, is Heavy Horses. And I still do quite like that. And I'm happy with it where it is placed on our ranking. I think you'd probably have it a place down or two, wouldn't you? But uh, No, no, I think it is probably right. I don't think there's much below it that I'd put above it. And as I said, I quite liked Stormwatch more than I expected when I listened to it again. So I might put that above. But then I have affection for Heavy Horses because I like the song Heavy Horses as well as the Mouse Police. And I don't think there's quite a, a stronger song on Stormwatch. So actually since... Actually, since we did this list, I remember now, I listened to a couple of the tracks on the playlist to sort of just to remind myself. And I thought, home, why did I pick that? That's not that great. Um, maybe Stormwatch isn't as good as I thought. Maybe it just caught me at a good moment. So yeah. perhaps I've come more to your opinion on Stormwatch, just as you've come more to mine on Roots to Branches. Yeah, I, I think I do think the Stormwatch is more, more of an average album. That's certainly what I thought until we did this. And then it sort of went up and I think it's maybe drifted slightly down again. Uh, I think that like Minstrel, I thought when we were discussing this, I felt I was being a little bit hard on Minstrel because side two of Minstrel is really good. It was just side one and the song Minstrel in the Gallery I don't like and side one I thought was a bit, ugh, can't be bothered with it. So it felt a little bit too high for me, but then side two is really good. Yeah, and I think also you have to remember side one, although it is obviously weaker than side two, it is all right. And I think musically it's quite good. It's not, there are some, it's not their strongest moment side one, but it, it's not complete rubbish either. But I would still move it down and put Roots to Branches above it. Fair enough. In an ideal world. No, 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 we're not going to move anything. I'm just saying in an ideal world, I would move it down and put Roots to Branches above it, which is what you just said as well. So in an ideal world, that's what happened. But we did what we did. We said at the time it was a a snapshot in time and it's close enough. Yeah. I mean, for me, the albums are in sort of groups of five and you've got sort of the top five that are excellent the next five that are good, the next five that are okay and have got, you wouldn't particularly listen to them, but they've got good tracks on. And then sort of the bottom five, which don't really care much about. You know, that's pretty good to have done 20 albums and to have that kind of quality throughout. And even, to be honest, even none of the albums are actually that unlistenable. Uh, Well, I think that group of five (laughs) thing does make sense. I'm just counting the fives now. That does actually make sense, yeah. Uh, That unlistenable... I I really do think Under Wraps is unlistenable. And I think, I, I kind of feel that about Rock Island, but I don't feel, everything above that I think has something to say for itself. But I think those two, I I couldn't get through really with any, with an ounce of pleasure. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I, but, you know, I still, there are sort of moments on both albums that are okay. Moments, moments fleeting. Moments, yeah, yeah. But, but, but out of 20 albums, that's, you know, to say 18 of them all are decent, I think is, is, is a good rate. Yeah, oh, I'd actually move jtill.com up a couple of notches, possibly, as well. I'd probably rather listen to that than Catfish Rising. But anyway, mm. we're not going to start mucking about with it now. No. So a couple more issues to, to raise. I was talking earlier on, I think, in the podcast, mentioning about why Jeff Rotor were playing blues and suggesting that was probably to do with that's what they needed to play to play gigs oh, yeah. um, and, on, and on reflection I think that's probably nonsense 
And I think they just, I think the reason why they were playing blues was because they liked it. It was quite fashionable at the time as well. So it was, it was probably what you needed to play to get gigs. But I, I think the, the change was probably Ian getting a grasp on songwriting and that started to develop. And that's really why they were playing blues and why they moved away from it. So I think I was probably talking nonsense at that bit, I think. Well, it, it wouldn't be the first time, that's for sure. There are occasions when I've been caught out. The other thing is I do also mention only solitaire and saying, on, which is on War Child, and, and suggest that it sounds like it's from the... I have written this down now, so I've got Chateau de Heroville Sessions, or Chateau Disaster, um, as it's sometimes called, and it actually is from those sessions. I did go back and check. So you, you're admitting your error and then patting yourself on the back? Well, I, I, I checked. So it, it, it goes back to my point where pretty much everything that's good on War Child is actually from the Chateau Heroville or Heroville session. Well, he still bamboozles me that they chuck that stuff away and made War Child instead. Because when that did reappear on the 20 years box set stuff, it, we all liked it. We all thought this is bloody good stuff. And, 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 and yet they put out um, a relatively dull album like War Child. So it just seems a bit odd that they didn't use that. It was pretty good stuff. Yeah, I think it's certainly better than War Child. I think the only, the only good bits on War Child for me are, are from that session. And the rest of the session is better than, than the rest of War Child. But it's a little bit late now, I think, to do that. Yeah, it's definitely too late. And if I was going back to redesigning their career, I would, first of all, not chuck Glenn Cornick out, the band. I'd have kept him in throughout. And then I wouldn't have had that ridiculous reshuffle around 1980 when they got rid of you know Barry Barlow and John Evan. So that lineup for me would have survived until 1979, 1980. Then they would have taken a break. Ian could have gone off and done his things, done a couple of solo albums or whatever, come back. And then when there would have just been that, you know, that great lineup of, you know, amazing musicians, brilliant characters. And that would have been the one that survived. Um, yeah, there would have needed more space for Ian to do his thing and them to do their thing. But I think I would have much preferred that than essentially what became Ian Anderson and his band. Yeah, well, I, I agree. And that, that's kind of the point as well in that book I was mentioning, which I read, Gary Parker's book. And he was saying that the, uh, you know, the classic lineup was the, the great sort of creative lineup and sort of the, the greatness of Jeffrey O'Toole ended in sort of 1980, which is a, a similar premise that we have discussed over a few beers on, on, on occasion. Yeah, on, on, a, on many occasions. Yes. Shall we end it there then? Because I think um, the ladies and gentlemen will be tiring with us talking about Jeffrey Tull for nearly two hours. I think we have probably worn their patience uh, gossamer thin. So shall we end it there? Well, I had one more thing to raise as oh an God, issue. Go on then. Well, not an issue. I'm, I'm sorry about this, everyone. Go on then. Well, I want to mention go back to Living in the Past, the album. Oh, okay, I love that album. Because, because it is very, very good. And although it is a compilation and we're not going to put it in, I was going to just say, if we were putting it in, where would we put it? Okay. At the time, I was thinking of suggesting that we put it in because I wanted to say the song that I would put in, which would be Life's a Long Song. I think there's a lot of brilliant candidates, by the way, a lot of fantastic candidates for the song, but I would put Life's a Long Song, which I think is a real brilliant song, real Jeffrey Tull classic. I think a a great song. And I would probably put it, ooh, dear, fourth-ish the fourth third fourth fifth around there <laughs> yeah um i think i'd go fourth and i would go for life as long song as well because it is it's one of my favorite jeffrey at all songs 
shall we shall we do it shall we go for it shall we put it in there in fourth spot life's a long song shall we do it shall we go for it well you were getting at me earlier for being a maverick and now you've got your own i'm happy to put it in it is an amazing song and an amazing album so let's do it let's let's just go crazy and uh, bung it in okay i'll just have to find it okay i'd put it above benefit you know i think i put it third yeah i was expecting you to say that yeah i'm reflecting now upon it I'd, but then yeah whatever we, we can't just keep reorganizing these albums for indefinitely i think we will try people's yeah. patience yeah i think we're already trying patience all right so we're there we're up we put it in that fourth spot living in the past we've broken all of our rules and we've put in an album that's not a studio album but then you know they all of their singles just weren't on albums in those days so they all crop up on there there's a live album and then there's a, another side of acoustic numbers which the best is probably life's a long song although there's loads of really good songs yeah i think there's many but life is a long song is it, well, it's, it's, it is one of my favorites of of all jeffrey tall songs so i would definitely pick that i love dr bogan broom and up the pool on there as well i mean they're sort of slightly throwaway songs perhaps but i just I just love belting them out when they come on. They're just great ones to sing along to. Yeah, they are quite um, B-side-ish, but in a very good way. They're very enjoyable. Yeah. And I will just say, another of my favourite Jeffrey Tull songs is Just Trying To Be, which I think is amazing. Another really short one, but it is outstanding. Okay, we're ending it there. We're going to be back with another podcast, another band, which will be shorter, I promise, because they won't have such a lengthy catalogue as uh, Jeff Rotel so thank you for listening mm-hmm.